Have you all ever heard the story of the six blind men and the elephant? Does that ring a bell? The story goes like this. Once upon a time, there were six blind men, and they were walking down a road, when all of a sudden they bumped into an elephant. Now, one of the blind men uh, touched the side of the elephant and said, wait, there's something here that is large and flat. Well, another blind man touched the elephant's leg and said, no, you're wrong. Whatever it is, is round and thick. It's like a tree trunk. Well, you're both wrong, said the third blind man, who was holding on to the elephant's trunk. So whatever it is, is long and snake-like. And on and on these blind men go, right, right down the line, each of the men grabbing a part of the elephant without any one of them knowing what exactly it is that they had encountered. And the story concludes that the world's religions are the same way, that we are like the blind men, that Jews, Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, etc., all are like the blind men in the story, grasping uh, in the dark, right? encountering something in the dark, and trying to make sense of it. And they're all equally right, and they're all equally wrong. The story concludes, everyone has a part of the truth, but nobody can say who God really is. Or so the story goes. Now, it's true that the story works on at least one level. I think it's true that left to our own devices, we are unable to say for certain who God is. But the problem with this story is that it never considers the paradigm-shattering question, what if the elephant talks? Never even entertains that idea. What if the elephant could talk? What if the elephant could tell the blind man, look, that wall-like structure is actually my side. That that fan is really my ear. That that thing that you think is a snake or a rope, that's actually my trunk or my tail. You see, if the elephant talks, the story breaks down. If the elephant talks, the blind men who listen to his voice stand corrected, but they're wise. And the ones who ignore his voice are fools. I think the heart of the matter is this. Does the God who created us also know how to speak to us? Is there a God who speaks, right? Is he able to communicate the truth to us through words in ways that are meaningful and understandable? And the answer that is assumed on every page of the Bible, beginning with page one, is yes. We are not fumbling around in the dark, um, blind and deaf and dumb. There is a God who is there, and he's not silent. He speaks. On page one of the Bible, we are introduced to this God. He speaks the universe into existence, and then he speaks to us. And not only does he speak, he answers. And not only does he answer, he acts. What God has said, what he has done, all he has promised, and all he has fulfilled, all of it is contained here uh, in this book that we call the Bible. Tonight, I want to ask and hopefully answer this essential question for you. What is the Bible and why do we need it? What is the Bible and why do we need it? 
Now, just as a sidebar here for a second, this is kind of like the 20-minute answer. Everything that we're doing here on Wednesday Night Fellowships is sort of like the abbreviated version. It's like the 20, 25-minute answer. Um, This is not the beginning and end of this conversation. Like, hopefully, I feel like this is just a conversation starter for you in some ways. If you want to have, like, the 20-hour conversation, we could do that, like, over lots of coffees and lunch and walks around the block with my dog or whatever you like. But here, what I'm giving you tonight um, as we do these 10 essential questions is a short answer, okay? What is the Bible? Why do we need it? Start, what's the Bible? Most obviously, it's a book, right? It has a a cover and a back, a binding. It looks similar to other books on your shelf. But that's where sort of the comparisons begin and end. If you're just to turn to the first page and you're to look, right, it has a table of contents like so many of books at home. When you look at the table of contents here, you see that this book contains lots of smaller books, 66 to be exact, some in what, what are uh, contained in what's called the Old Testament and some that are contained in the New. Now, these 66 books that have been put together in one book, they were written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years. None of those authors spoke English. The Bible was originally written in Hebrew or Aramaic and Greek, and it was written in a variety of literary styles, such as historical narrative and poetry, proverbs, prophecy, and more. But here's what is remarkable about this book. Right? These 66 books by 40 different authors over 1,500 years and a variety of languages and genres is presented to us as one thing. It's presented to us as a unit, as something that is coherent in a whole. And that raises maybe another question, like how is that possible? Why is that given to us as one thing? Well, the answer to that question can be found right here uh, on that, that, that passage that you have before you. In 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, it says right here in these verses that all the sacred writings, right, every one of those 66 books were breathed out by God. All of the sacred writings were breathed out by God. The Bible, this passage says, is God-breathed which is to say it originates with him. It proceeds out of his mouth, as it were. There are a lot of voices in, in Scripture, much like there are many parts in a play. But behind them all, there is this one commanding voice, right? One commanding author. Though it's not a perfect analogy, um, the Bible, when I think of this question, what is the Bible, it reminds me a lot of the musical Hamilton. Have you all seen it yet? On Disney Plus, it's amazing. Maybe some of you got to see it in the theater, which would be even more incredible. But when you see Hamilton in the theater or you see it on Disney Plus, right, what you see are a lot of different people. You see a lot of different voices on the stage. But behind all of those actors, behind all of those voices, there really is one voice. It's the voice of Lin-Manuel Miranda, right, who wrote the play. 
He wrote all the music. He wrote all the lyrics, right? It's his story that he's telling. He's telling the Hamilton story. He's even starring in the show as the main actor, right? But behind all of those voices are really, in some ways, Lin-Manuel's voice, right? He's the one who's narrating. Take the opening lines of the play, for example. When we hear, how does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore, dot, 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 you know, the, the, the Alexander Hamilton song, right? When we, when we hear Alexander Hamilton, the song, we're not just hearing Leslie Odom Jr. as Aaron Burr, right? We're hearing his voice to be sure, but we're also hearing Lin-Manuel's voice, right? It's, these are his words. These are words that he wrote. And he's delivering them through myriad voices in myriad ways to communicate one overarching narrative, right? In this case, the story of Alexander Hamilton. And similarly for me, again, this is not a perfect analogy, but hopefully maybe this makes a little bit of sense for you. Similarly, when we open the Bible, we're not just hearing Moses' voice or David's voice or Mary's voice or Paul's voice. We are hearing mysteriously God's voice behind all of those others, right? It's not just their voice. It's also his voice to us. He's communicating to us. He's telling us something. To put us in the starkest terms, what verse 16 is saying is that the God who spoke the universe into existence is also speaking to you and me from these pages, Now, that might just blow your head off, right? Because that's an astounding thing to consider. That the God who spoke, let there be light, let there be galaxies, actually can enter into a conversation with you and speak to you from these paper pages. That is what verse 15 and 16 is saying. These are God-breathed words. These are words from him to you. This is not a book by a bunch of blind men expressing their opinions of of who God might be. This is a book by the elephant in the room, right? God himself, not guessing, but explaining, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is what's wrong with the world. And this is the solution. All scripture is God-breathed. It's from him. It's personal communication. And what God is telling us, ultimately, is a story. A story of who he is, who we are, what's wrong with the world, and how it can be fixed. That's what the Bible is. I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones puts this in the Jesus Storybook Bible. I'm going to give a plug for this at the end. But if you don't have this yet, you should grab one on your way out, because this is incredible. It's a great, um, well, here, let's just give the blurb right now, right? You could read this straight through, and it would take you, I don't know, if you're really diligent, months. I mean, you got other homework to do, right? Like, it, this will take you some time to read through. You can read through this on a, red, a wet and rainy weekend. Like, this doesn't take long. This is, gives you, like, sort of that 30,000-foot view of what is in here, kind of gives you the forest for the trees. It's a great summary of what the Bible is saying uh, and communicating. I I really can't recommend it enough. If you've never read the Bible, check this out. It's great. Here's what she says on, I'm going to read to you. I'll just read it. 
It's on page, it's the first, it's the opening lines of the book, sort of the introduction. Here's what she says. She says, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. But no, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are a lot of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell the story, and at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. This is a great, I think, articulation of what the Bible is. It is, of course, a book, right? but inside this book, there is one overarching story, like one big story. It's the story of how God made a good world, of how we human beings broke it, and how God made promises to save it, and he's made good on those promises by giving us right, this baby, Sally Lloyd-Jones says, right? Uh, this, this child, right? this prince from a faraway country, every story whispering his name. Like any good story, there is setting and plot and character development and conflict resolution and more. And like any story, this story has a hero, but it's not you or me, right? The hero in this story that is the Bible is God himself. It's a story by God and about God and what he has done to save the world, right? Now, the purpose of this story is not like other stories you might hear. It's not like other stories on your shelf, stories uh, like Harry Potter or uh, the Velveteen Rabbit or fill in the blank, right? Those stories are really there to entertain you. Some of them are maybe uh, fables, you know, with a moral at the end. But the, story, the point of this story is not to entertain you, nor is it there to just teach you everything there is to know about everything. That's not the point of the Bible. The Bible wants you to know that there is a God who made all things, but it's not there to explain how God made all things. Right? We have astronomy textbooks and geology textbooks and biology textbooks that are there to suit that purpose. Right? As one former RUF student put it to me, and I think so very well, she said, you know, the Bible tells me that God made the world and science books show me how. That was a great summary, right? God made the universe a certain way, right? There's laws of physics and mathematics, etc. but you're not going to learn physics from your Bible. You're not going to learn your multiplication tables from the Bible. It's not to say those things aren't real or they're not true. They are. That's just not the point of the Bible. That's not what it's there to show you. It's not what it's there to teach you, right? The, 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 the point of the Bible has a very specific purpose, right? The point of this book and the point of this story is that you would know who God is and you would know who you are, that you would know what is actually wrong with the world and what actually the solution is. 
in sum, the, the point of the Bible is to make you wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the point. There's no other book on your shelf that does that. There's no other book on your shelf that, where God speaks to you and says, this is who I am, this is who you are, and this is my son who you need. Right? There's nothing else like that. The Bible exists to make you wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. Now let's just break that down just a little bit. The Bible exists to make you wise. What is wisdom, actually? Right? Wisdom is not just knowledge. Right? Wisdom is knowledge applied. The wise man or the wise woman recognizes that there is actually a grain to the universe, that the world is made a certain way. There is a way that things actually work and are supposed to work. And the wise person goes with the grain, right? Not against it. There's a grain to the universe because it was made, because it was designed. And anything that is made or designed has, uh, is that way. There are ways to use it. And there are ways to abuse it, misuse it, right? There are ways to make it work, and there's ways to make it break. Uh, my iPhone is a great example, right? Steve Jobs designed this to make phone calls and text and take selfies and watch TikTok like long into the hours of the night, right? Actually, he didn't design it. I think the Chinese designed it for that. But they are using his device, right, for that purpose. Now, can you use this iPhone to hammer in a nail? Well, I guess you could try, right? You could, but that's a pretty good way to actually break this thing. When Steve Jobs designed the iPhone, he was not designing it to hammer in nails. That's not the point. That's not the purpose. That would be an unwise thing to do, right? You're going against the grain of how it was made. Well, you can apply the sort of the same principle to your life. Can you live life on your own terms? Well, yeah, sure you can. Right? Can you live life believing that all that matters is sex and success, money and fame? Well, yeah, I mean, sure, you can. Can you live life exacting revenge, telling lies and sowing hate? Yeah, I mean, that's a, you can do that. But you were not designed to live that Right? Living your life that way is akin to hammering in a nail with an iPhone. Right? It's a good way to break it. It's not wise. See, God has spoken. He's given us his word. He's given us this, this book and this story in order to make us wise, in order to reveal the truth of who he is and who we are and the way that the world works. And he's given us this book, uh, this book and the story to point us to Jesus. Because he doesn't want you to be left in the dark, not knowing where to go or what to do. He doesn't want you to hurt yourself or to hurt other people. He doesn't want you to believe the lies of the devil. Who, by the way, if you were to go back to Genesis 3, which is what something that Sarah Jane talked about, doesn't say God doesn't exist. He's too smart for that. He knows that's, that's never really going to fly, right? He says instead, God isn't good. 
You can't trust him. Right? The lie that God doesn't exist is too big a lie that nobody will actually buy it. But he can plant this seed in your heart that he's not good. That you're better off without him. And that lie goes in real deep. God doesn't want you to believe that lie. And he doesn't want you to conclude that there's nothing to hope in and nothing to hope for. Because that's not true. That's not the way the world is. You see, God wants you to be wise. He wants you to know the truth of who he is and who you are, why the world is the way it is, and how it can be righted. He wants you to know what he has done, is doing, and will do still. But he doesn't just want you to know this with your head. He wants you to do something with it. It's not just there to give you information, to give you facts, right? So you can crush it on Kahoot the next time we have a Bible trivia quiz or something like that. That's not the point, right? Again, wisdom is more than information. It's more than facts. Wisdom is knowledge put to good use. It's knowledge that is applied. And what God wants you to do with this information is for you to go to Jesus. He's telling you these things for a reason. He wants you to know his heart and his character, that he loves you. He wants you to know that you really are made in his image, that you have intrinsic dignity and worth, and your life finds its ultimate meaning and fulfillment in knowing who God is and reflecting him out to the world around you. He wants you to know that though you have turned your back on him and you've done grave harm to him and to others in this world, that can be forgiven. In fact, it has been forgiven in Jesus and you can come home. You do not have to live like a spiritual orphan anymore. You can live like a son and daughter of the king. He wants you to put your faith and trust in him and to let this information guide you home. God, the point of this story is that you would be wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the point of this story. It's everything that we need to know for that. Back in um, 2014, before my daughter Willa was born, my wife Megan and I did a big backpacking trip in Newfoundland called the Long Range Traverse. Now, the Long Range Traverse is a 35 kilometer, do the math here, it's like 21 miles. 35 kilometer trek, 21 mile trek in the backcountry of Gross Morne National Park. Now, there's not really a trailhead. What you do is you get on a boat, it drives through this really narrow sort of lake with cliffs on all sides and it drops you off at the edge of the lake while everyone else goes back to the marina and they wave to you in the distance and they wave to you goodbye and you're left standing you know on this shore with a bunch of woods and steep sharp cliffs behind you and you got to climb these cliffs to get to this tall sort of high altitude plateau and then it's just many days across this plateau to get to civilization again okay there are no marked or maintained trails So trekkers have to apply for a permit. 
You've got to watch a safety video. You've got to be interviewed by a ranger. And then you've got to pass a test to show that you actually know how to use map and compass navigation, you know, if your, your GPS runs out of batteries, right? It's no joke. Before we traveled to Newfoundland and we did this trek, we downloaded some maps of the area and we studied them. Well, the maps are useful, right? But only up to a point. Because maps are not made to be studied, right? Maps are made to be used and to be applied, right? When we trekked that landscape in Grossmoor National Park, when we trekked the long-range traverse with the map in hand, we became wise in a way, right? We saw things that were there on the landscape that weren't actually on the map. We actually learned some things that the map didn't include. And then we also saw some things that were on the map with greater clarity. We didn't just acquire more information, like we acquired wisdom. The point I'm trying to make is when we took this map into action, this two-dimensional thing became for us a three-dimensional all-encompassing experience. Not just information, but wisdom, right? Knowledge applied. Not just 2D knowledge, but 3D sort of knowledge. Does that make sense? Well, much the same way, this is what the Bible is meant for you. God has given you something. He's given you a story. He's given you a map, as it were. And it's, ma- it's a meant to map to, sh- to reveal certain key things to you. Ken, who I am, who you are, what's wrong with the world, how do you get out of this mess? You know. But it's not simply meant to give you information. It's meant to make you wise. It's meant not simply to be studied in some spiritual corner of your life, but it's meant to go with you onto the long-range traverse that is your entire life. This is not simply meant to be uh, studied in the armchair of your home, but in the heat and the fog of real life. In situations that you're having, you're, you're the fights with your roommates, in, in breakups with your boyfriend. It's meant to go into those dark hours of, of your depression and anxiety. It's meant to go into all those thorny situations, right? The, the stress that you are facing, those sleepless nights. Like, it's meant to be used and applied in all of these situations and circumstances. Not kept, I guess, between a, 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 a pane of glass, but to be smeared with blood and sweat and coffee stains, right? Don't just read it, but study it, apply it. Let it make you wise through salvation in Jesus Christ. Let this lead you home to get you from point A to point B into the arms of Jesus. You know, there's no other book like this. No other book on your bookshelf that is written by God, right? Um, No other book that that reveals precisely who he is. Uh, No other book that precisely reveals who you are what the world's problems are and where the solution truly lies. You all, all scripture is breathed out by God. And as our passage says, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness in order that you may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. And I would add, equipped for your own long-range traverse. Please pray.